This was a power-packed lesson this week, wasn't it? I had a, I have way too many notes. So we're going to go like, and we're just going to go. We'll forget church. We'll just keep going. <laughs> uh, why don't we uh, start with a word of prayer before we begin? Our precious Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, I just ask for your wisdom that you will teach us more about unity through you. I just ask uh, that you will guide us now, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So this week, the Holy Spirit and unity. I think it was five sermons. Each day was a sermon, wasn't it? You look at each lesson. But I'd like us to start with Acts chapter 2. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is a familiar set of verses. Acts 2, verses 41 through 47. Someone like to read that? Then those who gladly received his words were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's a power pack set of verses, isn't it? And if we look at it, it really summarizes our entire week's lesson in one passage, doesn't it? Uh, there were five foundational principles of unity that we learned about this week. And all five of them are actually found in this passage. Uh, does anyone know what they are? All right. The word was definitely one of them. Um, I'll put that here. We'll put faithfulness to the word, right? All right, what else? Prayer? All right. Unity? Well, these are all the five foundational principles of unity. So yes, unity was definitely one of them, for sure. Um, what what happened just before these verses? What do we know happened to the church? The Holy Spirit, right? So they started with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? And they had, uh, if you read through here, you'll notice um, that they were committed to Christ, right? And there's two more, and you kind of mentioned it. Signs and wonders was part of what? 
When did they do the signs and wonders? Right? But they did it while they were teaching, right? Wasn't the signs and wonders part of their witnessing? Right? Because they were teaching and they were healing at the same time to give power to the witnessing. Really, you know, what you find deep down is a passion for witnessing and service. So witnessing and service, those go hand in hand, don't they? There's one more thing in here that you guys have missed so far. Faithfulness to doctrines, we'll classify that under the word. Now you got somewhere. What do we find about fellowship here? They were spending time together, weren't they? Praying together, eating together, socializing, right? Fellowship, social fellowship is very important. If we were to summarize this entire passage and really this whole lesson this week, these were the key points uh, to have unity. And of course, you can't have it. This is supposed to be guidance of Holy Spirit. I didn't finish writing. You can't have unity without the Holy Spirit. And you can't have unity without everyone having a strong commitment to Christ. Grounded in God's word, spending time together, and together sharing our passion for witnessing and service to others. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Now, I want you to remember those because I'm a quizzy at the end. You have all memorized now? Because <laughs> I'm going to erase them. All right. Um, let's turn to John 17. Because here in John 17, Jesus actually outlines his desire for his people to be united. And uh, really going into more of the principles that we just learned just now. John 17, 17 through 23. And maybe we could break it up into two segments. If someone wants to read 17 through 19, and then someone wants to read 20 through 23. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And someone else read 20 through 23. So once again, we see some of these same principles, right? What do you see, first of all, in 17? We're united through truth, God's word, right? He says, through God's word, your word is truth. And then uh, he says that he wants us united through him. Just as Jesus is one with his Father, he wants us to be one with him. And then he says, I want to give them the same glory that you gave me. That's those signs and miracles we talked about in Acts, right? That they may be perfect. He wants us spotless, just like him, united together through Christ. But the only way we can do that is with the help of who? The Holy Spirit. And that's what we're studying today. So as we think about these principles of unity, 
I want to turn to the natural world. Uh, about a couple days ago, I heard my first honking noise as it flew over my ha- my head as I was walking to the bank. You know what I heard? If I heard a honking noise, what did I hear? Geese, yes. I saw geese flying north. That's a good sign. <laughs> I haven't heard them since they flew south. Geese, uh, when they fly, how do they usually fly? Do they just scatter all over and fly? They have a V pattern, right? Kind of looks like this, where you got the, the lead goose up front, and then you've got all the geese down the row behind them. I did a little bit of research uh, into geese and found some really interesting facts I wanted to share with you. One is that because the birds fly in this V shape, the the energy that they have that each bird has to expend in flying and flapping his wings is cut down by fifty percent. So if you take a goose flying by himself, um, I can't draw, but anyway, we'll pretend this is a goose. Uh, if you got a goose flying by himself versus a whole gaggle of geese flying um, in formation, it takes twice as much energy for this goose here as it does the ones here. And uh, some uh, scientists say that they can travel as much as 70% faster, oh, not faster, further on the, uh, in the same amount of time flying in a V formation versus flying by themselves. So 50% less expenditure of energy and 70% uh, further distance traveled. That's pretty amazing uh, for just having a group flying together versus one goose flying by himself or herself. The second uh, thing, and of course... um, One of the lessons in parallel to what we've been saying in our lesson is that when we are united in Christ through the Holy Spirit toward a common goal, how much more we can accomplish for God working together as a church than we can working by ourselves individually. So the next thing, uh, the reason they fly in a V pattern versus just flying any other way uh, is because it increases the visibility for each bird to be able to spot enemies. Um, if you just had, you know, birds all dotted through, then if they look to the right or left, they're seeing another bird. But when you have them in a straight line like this in a V shape, each bird can see on both sides of him and watch for danger. And of course, that uh, there's several pa- uh, parallels you can find with that. One, of course, is that when when we are together in unity, we can be so much more observant for the devil's temptations than we can if we're all just doing our own thing in dis- in common discord together. But another thing that's interesting is if you look at 
and we're going to talk about more of this in a little bit, if you look at uh, structure of organization, uh, any organization, whether it be a church or a business or whatever, uh, when you have uh, basically instead of a straight line and one person commands all the shots and everybody obeys, where you have a tiered, and you'll see it even in our own church organization, where you have each level a little bit wider than the top, uh, the leaders at the top can look down and see everything and keep everything organized all the way through. And those at the bottom can see the structure all the way up and see the common goal, where we're going, and work together better. Another uh, interesting thing I found out was that uh, if a goose who's flying in this V formation over here happens to accidentally fly a little bit the wrong direction, gets out of line with those be, uh, in front of him, he instantly will feel friction. Uh, and, of course, he'll all of a sudden be harder to fly. And that makes him want to change his course and join back with those in front of him again. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced friction from anybody. You know, when uh, we get out of line with Jesus, that's when we begin to feel friction with our fellow, not just fellow believers, but family members or anyone close to us. And what does it take for us to get back in line again? takes humility. It takes humility, doesn't it? Get down on our knees, ask for forgiveness, say I'm sorry, and move back in line where Jesus wants us to be again. And it's not easy to do, is it? But it's so worth it. Because otherwise we become this lone goose again, trying to pull everything on our own. And now we're at yours, Jim. The lead goose never stays the same. After a little while... He flies to the back, and the next one up takes his place. Always working together. And you know, it's the same for us as Christians. Of course, Jesus is our, our head, but as human beings, he wants all of us to take leadership. He doesn't want just one person to do all the work and everybody else just to sit back and relax and be pew warmers, Right? He wants all of us to be leaders and take our turns. Uh, not to the point of too many chiefs and not enough Indians, but to the point of serv servant leadership, willing to take the slack when it needs to be picked up. How uh, quiet is this V formation when it flies over your head? Why are they so loud? <laughs> they're happy, they're talking to each other. It's actually, yes, you're right. It's actually a specific communication. And it's two things that scientists have figured out. One is they're telling the lead goose to keep going. He can do it. Encouraging. And the other is they're communicating with each other to make sure one doesn't get lost. And they know who is in their group. So they recognize all their voices. And so it's their way of actually staying together and working together. 
and encouraging one another to stay. I don't think I have to tell you any lessons on that. I think that one's pretty obvious, right? (laughs) The Bible tells us to encourage one another and bear one another's burdens. And that brings us to our next one. If one goose in the formation gets sick and can no longer fly, two other geese will go down with it. And they will stay with that goose until he dies. They will not leave that goose alone. And once he dies, then they will go up and fly and rejoin the flock. That is uh, a very selfless task. That's not something that just anyone would do. But God wants us to be willing to support each other through our difficulties and our trials, just like those geese do. The last one was that the geese route never varies for generations. Uh, So if one particular group of geese are used to wintering in one place and raising their young in a different place, that group of geese will never vary. They will never go somewhere else. They will not even change their stopping points at night or their course along the way. It's exact. And uh, scientists have marveled at it because, I mean, you're talking generations after generations still flying the exact same route. Um, and so it was kind of fun. This, uh, this uh, man in Europe, he wanted to do some scientific experiments. And so uh, he wanted a group of geese and a specific wildlife preserve that they had just built. And then he wanted them to fly to a specific, like the one that they built that he wanted them to be raised in was in Sweden. And he wanted them to fly to a specific wildlife preserve in Germany for the winter and then come back to Sweden. Now, you can't just go and grab a goose out of the wild and tell him that he's going to fly to a different place. That doesn't happen. I mean, it's impossible. But... uh He really wanted them in this wildlife preserve because, of course, hunting was prohibited and they'd be able to flourish in those two places. So what he did was he got 30 eggs and he raised them himself. And he taught those geese to fly using an ultralight flying machine. And uh, do you all know what an ultralight flying machine is? I've ridden in them. They're a lot of fun. Uh, It looks like a flying snowmobile with a parachute on top. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, you're in the open air. Uh, the geese could see him when they were teaching him how to take off and where to fly and whatever. So he and his wife would take turns uh, in the ultralight teaching these geese how to fly. Well, he discovered that was a serious mistake because when the day came that he wanted to teach them their migration route, the geese would not follow him in the flying machine unless his wife was in there too. Both of them had to be there because they were the two that taught him how to fly. So he had to go and invest in a new ultralight that had two seats so his wife could join him and they could teach these birds where to migrate. And so they took him on one one full migration trip all the way from Sweden to Germany, the exact route he wanted them to take, and uh, left them in Germany for the winter and went home and waited to see what would happen. And the next spring, all those geese came back. 
And uh, now there is a permanent flock going back and forth between that wild preserve in Sweden and uh, the one in Germany. Fascinating. Um, but uh, so many lessons that we can learn from this in our own Christian experience. Jesus has set the route for us, hasn't he? And he's given us the map in the Bible. And as long as we stay true to the word and to the route that God has given us, we never have anything to worry about because his route is perfect. Yes. For us, that we should teach our young people the first thing they should see is Jesus. Because that's what the good they the first person they saw. Yeah. The first person they saw was mom and dad. <laughs> and uh, yes, you're right. Our young people, we need to fix their eyes on Jesus. So many lessons we can learn. Just fascinating. Um, so as we think about this V structure, and I'm sure some of this is like total review for some of you, but uh, it never hurts to review. Uh, and maybe some of our younger members might learn a little bit. I wanted to just look at the structure of our church. Uh, you know, in the, the history of the Adventist church, uh, we didn't start with a lot of organization. We started as basically a scattered body of Sabbath keepers who, uh, well, not even Sabbath keepers, a scattered body of Adventists who are looking for Christ's second coming and have been disappointed. And then gradually, uh, through much effort and prayer on the part of a number of our leaders, including Ellen and James White, uh, uh, Joseph Bates and John Loughborough, Jay and Andrews, and a lot of others, uh, we gradually started pulling together as a united body. But we had a problem, and that was it was really hard to make any decisions or move anywhere or even be able to own property or do anything. Um, our pastors weren't getting paid except, you know, maybe a bushel of potatoes every now and then and, you know, a handful of cash to get them to their next location. Their families were starving to death. Um, it was very, very rough without that organization. And uh, because uh, they had just been basically, most of them had been kicked out of their denominations that they'd had, they weren't, they weren't interested in starting a new denomination. They didn't want to. Um, but as they progressed, they realized the importance of it. And so they started basically by choosing a name, Seventh-day Adventist. And then uh, uh, electing, you know, basic officers that you have to have in order to have a legal organization in the United States. So, you know, they had a president and a treasurer and a secretary, you know, at least those. Um, and then as it grew, they slowly added on. But then we started sending missionaries overseas and literature overseas. And uh, the foreign fields were languishing because anytime they wanted to do something, they had to send a letter by ship back to the United States to get it approved by the conference office or get uh, advice or support or whatever. And it might be two years before a letter got back by ship again uh, to the field where they could actually do something. And uh, that becomes a problem. 
And so that's when uh, the next step came in and the church had to organize more. So that way it wasn't one group of people in the United States running the whole Seventh-day Adventist world headquarters. And uh, that's when they organized into uh, larger branches. So I just want to show you, I did a little bit of studying last night to make sure I was telling you the right facts. But uh, let's see if I can get it all on the board. The top level is you. All right? The church members. Uh, which, of course, uh, meet at our church business meeting. That's everybody who's a member, right? That is the top. Uh, next, you've got the church board, right? And then you've got the pastor. Who has more authority, the church business meeting or the pastor? The church business meeting, right? The members. All right. Then you've got the next branch. What's that? Elders? Yeah, they're on the church board, so I just include them to kind of make it easier. Otherwise, we'll have this. We'll have a board from there to there in tiny print, and none of us can read it if I write everybody now. Okay, so the next section you have the church. Uh, all the churches. Whoops, I can't t- write and talk at the same time here. All the churches within a conference, right? So we are the Kentucky Tennessee Conference, and we have what's called. Uh, a constituency meeting. Let's see if I can spell it right. And that is basically representation from every single church within the Kentucky Tennessee Conference. Meet together once every four years. Am I right? Or five years? Four or five. One of those, anyway. Uh, to elect the officers for our conference and to make decisions for our, our conference. Uh, in the interim, kind of like for large large churches, we'll have a church business meeting once a year and a church board meeting once a month. Uh, their their board would be called the executive committee. And that meets once every quarter, every three to four months. It used to meet every other month. They just changed it every three months um, at our, our local conference. And that is, of course, a much smaller, but it still has representation from all the areas within the conference as representation from churches, from pastors, from our schools, um, if there's any medical institutions or anything within that conference, is rep- representation from all those on the executive committee. And then, of course, you've got the conference administration, right? So that would include um, our ministerial director, our treasurer, um, executive secretary, uh, and a few other the department heads. And then you've got the conference president. 
So this is the conference. That's a Kentucky 10. And this would be Stearns. Are you following me so far? I'm around a space long before I get all this written. Okay, so what's next after a conference? Unions. We have unions next, all right? So now with the unions, you have... Um, you have another constituency. And this is a, basically a conference constituency instead of church constituency, okay? And the conference constituency uh, basically includes uh, a fairly large representation from every conference within the union. Our union here is the Southern Union, okay? Uh, so um, not that long ago, actually a few months ago, Daniel and I went to the Southern Union Conference constituency meeting because he was one of the constituents repre representing Kentucky Tennessee Conference at the Southern Union. Um, and of course, you know, within all of those, you've got the subcommittees, right? That have They have the nominating committee and researching committee and, you know, all different things. Daniel ended up on the nominating committee this last time. Uh, but at the conference constituency, that's where they elect the officers at the union. Uh, so that's when they decide who's the union president, who's going to be the union publishing director and the union treasurer and the union ministerial director and, you know, all the different officers that we have at the union are elected at the conference constituency meeting. Uh, so... After that, of course, you have an executive committee, which is basically the board of the union, kind of like the board of the conference. And uh, that consists of a smaller group that also has representation from all the conferences, hospitals, schools, you know, anything within the union, um, and ours being the Southern Union. And then uh, after that, of course, you've got the union administration. And then last of all, you got the union president. Okay, are you following me so far? Can you see it okay? <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to work on the other side of the board now because I'm running out of space here. So what's next? We've got divisions. <laughs> All right, so we're going to write Southern Union here. That's where we are. You didn't know that church was this organized, did you? <laughs> Let's see if I can write on this side. Okay, so we got divisions now. Um, the division doesn't have quite as many committees. Um, they have a little bit less uh, jurisdiction because the division is basically divided into unions, and the unions represent the division. Um, but still at the division level, we still have um, an executive committee. We are in the North American division. 
That covers Canada, United States, this pretty much this little area here, um, North American Division. So we have a North American Division president. His name is Dan Jackson. All right. Uh, the officers at the North American Division are actually elected at the general conference session, which is what Florence wants. She wants me to get to that. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> All right. So they have the executive committee, and, of course, they've got subcommittees. They have the division administration. And then they have a president. All right? And so we are North America. All right? Yeah, we have thir 13 divisions. Um, thank you, Daniel. And we have what? I'm trying to remember how many unions just within the North American division. It's like seven or eight. It's around seven or eight unions just within North American Division. Um, when I grew up, I lived in the um, North Pacific Union in the Upper Columbia Conference. And uh, now we're in the Southern Union, Kentucky, Tennessee Conference. Um, all right, so now we are basically at the very top level, which is, or I should say the very bottom level, because we're doing top, right? You're the top, <laughs> the bottom. Uh, we get to the World Church. And uh, what they have uh, every year, of course, well, let's do the top first. We have the general conference session, which is basically like the constituency meeting for the whole world. Okay? That's why we have so many people who go there. Uh, and that's every five years. Daniel and I didn't go to the last one. Um, but we went to the previous one, which was in Atlanta. It wasn't too far away and actually ran a booth at the general conference session. We were not a delegate, so we just kind of enjoyed ourselves. Um, but the general conference session, that's where they elect uh, the officers at the general conference, and that's also where they elect all the union officers for all 13 unions. Um, that's also where they, what's that? Divisions, I'm sorry. Divisions, all 13 divisions. They elect all the division um, officers, president, secretary, treasurer, all that. Um, and then they have an annual council, which meets every year, and that's basically like the executive committee of the general conference. Um, our annual council just met not that long ago. And then um, you've got the general conference uh, administration, which the General Conference administration is a little bit larger than uh, the lower levels. Because uh, the General Conference um, administration, the ex basically like an executive committee for them, is formed of all 13 union presidents, Plus, was it six other, I think? Six other vice presidents. Um, so you've got 19 vice presidents 
at the general conference. Um, we'll just put that here. 19 vice presidents. And then we got the president. And of course, also at the general conference is all the department heads. You'll find ADRA there. You'll find um, the Avenus Review Committee. You'll find uh, uh, ministerial director. You'll find uh, youth coordinator, health ministries director, all the different departments that we have that we elect officers for here at our local church. They have a department head at the conference level, at the union level, at the division level they don't have as much but all of it at the general conference level so anyone who is you know say your health ministries leader or personal ministries director or whatever you can call your local conference and talk to someone who's over your department and they'll actually give you advice and help and aids and whatever else you need and that goes all the way up to the general conference um so let me ask you how much how much power does the does Ted Wilson, our general conference president, have? Not much. Not much. And you know what else is interesting? All of our conference presidents, union presidents, division presidents, all the way up, get paid the same amount as a pastor. There's no increase in pay. In fact, most people uh, who have, like, for instance, I talked to our Kentucky-Tennessee conference uh, president. He said when he became president, he actually had to take a pay cut because his wife had to quit her job in order to move to become president. So before, he was a pastor, and his wife was working full-time too. So he's actually operating on half the pay that he was as a pastor uh, to become our conference president. It's servant leadership that we have in the Adventist Church, and it's designed that way by God, just like the geese have that V-shaped. If I had a bigger chart, I could show you that we also do um, within the Adventist church. And it's neat because it promotes not just organization, but it also prohibits a lot of the greed that you would get in higher levels in a normal organization because it's designed uh, not only as a representative uh, design, but also... Uh, without the pay uh, to make people want or crave those positions. And, uh, you know, it's it's God's plan for us. I told you I had way too much stuff. Our time is already up. Look at that. I hope you learned something, though. <laughs> so, review now. I'm your racist. Do you remember the five? The five principles of unity that we learned in our lesson this week? I heard one. Shannon, say it louder. Guidance of the Holy Spirit, that's one. It does look that way. There we go. Who else remembers one of them?
Let's see, that was number three. All right. Maybe. Socializing. I think that's Shannon's my favorite. Social fellowship. All right, there's two more. Does anyone remember what the other two were? Witnessing. Passion for witness and service. And what was the last one? Most important one. John 17. Keep trying. Anyone know what the last word was? Christ. Commitment to Christ. Yes. Without Christ, there is no unity, right? Because we are united in Jesus by the Holy Spirit.